0: Normally this podcast is for everybody today. I wanna talk to the women because there is absolute unequivocal and really frightening gender bias going on in hospitals and in the doctor's offices. So check out these stats for you to think about. Women, if you go to the hospital with chest pains, you're gonna wait 20 to 30% longer than if a man walks in with the exact same symptoms. If you're treated by a male doctor, versus a female doctor, your chance of survival is far less. You're in big trouble. And check this out. When women walk in with chest pains, more than 50% of the time, they're told that they're having a stress reaction. Versus men, when they walk in with chest pains, they're immediately handled as though there's a cardiac issue. You're being misunderstood, you're getting presumed, and you're getting profiled when you get to the doctor's office and this is frightening, and it's costing you your life and your health. Heart Month is coming to an end, and I wanted to talk about this very critical topic with you. So I chased down my very dear and very busy friend, Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum, literally on the soccer field on a Saturday afternoon. So we talked to her on the phone. We were cell phone to cell phone. The sound quality, I have to apologize, is not the clearest as it usually is in these podcasts, but the information is so vital. Suzanne is so on the cutting edge of what's happening in women's health and women's heart health in particular. So listen up. I'm Sarah Heiner, and this is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast.
1: I'm Sarah Heiner, president of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to Dr. Suzanne Steinbach. Director of Women's Cardiovascular Health, Prevention, and Wellness at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. Dr. Steinbauten is one of the most prolific and outspoken advocates for women's health in general and the importance of cardiac care for women in particular. You have no doubt seen her on one of her many appearances on all the major television networks. And she's one of Bottom Line's featured bloggers with her At the Heart of It All blog, available at BottomLineInc.com. You can learn more about Dr. Steinbaum and her very important work at drsuzannesteindam.com. Hello, my friend. How are you today? How are you? Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. And thank you for doing this. We are so, I have to apologize up front to anybody that's listening because we are so, on the weekend, dragging you on the cell phone off the soccer field with your busy schedule with Heart Month, with Go Red for Women. We had to pull you where I could to get the time to talk about gender and cardiac
2: care so thank you for doing it today the good thing is this month i have been so busy and it's because everyone wants to know the truth about what's going on with cardiac care in women and it's been an issue so i'm thrilled to be able to talk about it well good and so the truth of the matter is you know me
1: i'm not really what i'll call a genderist and i don't like to you know scream wave the flags of Men versus women. I'm kind of a peopleist, but there are some really frightening things going on when it comes to women's treatment. When they have a heart attack, when they have heart attack symptoms, preventive care, all of it. Women truly are at a disadvantage when they have a heart issue. What what is going on? Let's go through some of the stats and scare the
2: Jesus out of anyone that's listening. I have to tell you that when my career began this was not an intentional path and it really started because i was in the emergency room i was watching women being wheeled in with heart disease and heart attacks who were put in the corner with diagnoses of gastroenteritis or sent home with anxiety and so i was watching this happen thinking to myself what is going on here? And that was, you know, 18, 20 years ago. And I wish I can say to you that things have changed and it was something that I witnessed that was an accident or a mistake. But when I started noticing this, 15 years ago, Go Red for Women through the American Heart Association began because everybody started realizing it. And the truth is since 1984, more women, started dying of heart disease than men. Now, when we look at that year, we know that 20 years before that, all this research was done on the heart, but it was on men's hearts. And so without looking at women and without understanding what heart disease looked like in women, all of a sudden more women started dying. And so we are tracking this from 1984 until today And we're saying, what's been going on? And the reality is we're doing better, but we know that women have much worse outcomes when they develop heart disease. We know that when they go to the emergency room, their wait for cardiac care treatment, even in the setting of a heart attack, could be 20 to 30% longer. Women wait 30% longer to go to the emergency room women who have male doctors versus female doctors don't do nearly as well um and in fact there's a two to three fold increased risk of going to a male doctor versus a female doctor now i'm with you sarah this this isn't about sexism this isn't about anything like that as far as i see it this is about quality of care this is about Making sure that we do the right thing for all people, no matter who they are. and When you you look at this, it's kind of hard not to say something.
1: Well, and it's crazy. And you ran through a lot of stats. I want to actually go a little bit slower through some of those because the power of those numbers. You know, often there will be research statistics or some research study that something improves outcomes 5%, 10% somebody does a little bit better, 10%, 15%. But we're talking that stats like women, the first month after a heart attack, that they are 100% more likely to die, and in the first year, 50% more likely to die? Did I get those stats right? Did I read those correctly?
2: And it's... It is staggering to see how much worse women do. Right. And even... And... That... And some of it's
1: not even in this country. So you think about, like, the Nordic countries, so Sweden, where everybody thinks it's such a fabulous, you know, equal, equal, equal kind of country. And they did a big study there, and the women in Sweden were getting second-tier status. They did a study where they did kind of color-coded everybody when they came in, and the women were downgraded in their colors. And even if they had the same colors as a guy in terms of urgency, they still or put second in triage and second in, in order. Like, It's insane that they're not being paid attention to when it comes to their cardiac symptoms and cardiac concerns.
2: Yeah, and, and when you look at this, you know, the question is why, 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 why? And the, one of the things that I mentioned is that the research just wasn't done on women, so it wasn't really thought of as being a woman's disease. Heart disease is a man's disease. That's kind of like what everyone thinks. And I think that when we look at surveys, really asking women, what's your greatest health threat? And you know, there there are 60% of women will say breast cancer. Well, things have changed. Now, 56% of women know that heart disease is her greatest risk but for all they disease, may,
1: They may know it, but are they really doing what they need to? And are they identifying when they have their symptoms? Because as you said, they're still waiting to go into the, you know, if they have a symptom, they may or may not go in for help. Or they may go in and not be clear
2: about what their problem is. There, there was one survey that when asked the women personally, what is your risk? She said, my risk, oh, 13% said it was her own personal risk. It's everyone else's problem. So <laughs> women themselves are like, heck no, this is not happening to me. This is happening to everyone else. And so you're absolutely right. Women need to identify the fact that if she has a heart, her greatest health threat is heart disease. And that's the bottom
1: line. Well, and also, so there was a whole thing in the news recently. Susan Lucci recently had a heart attack. And I didn't read the details of of why she had it. But she is thin. I presume that she's active. And that, you know, you think of, you know, that... You don't think of somebody like that, somebody who's relatively, she's relatively young, she's what, in her early 70s, and even she did not recognize that she was having a heart attack.
2: We are so lucky that she has really become an outspoken spokesperson for Go Red for Women. And in fact, she's speaking at our luncheon in New York City, our fundraising luncheon. She walked the red carpet this year at New York Fashion Show. And she's really saying, listen, it happened to me. And I know what I do know now, and I'm sure I'm going to find out more um, after I hear her speak, but she had a stent put in the top part of the main artery in the heart, which some have called the widow maker. It's an artery in a location that if a heart attack happens, many people don't survive that. So she's lucky and and she's willing to talk about it. When we talk about heart disease, we really talk about the major risk factors, which is high blood pressure and high cholesterol, diabetes or elevated sugars, family history, smoking, stress, sedentary lifestyle, and diet. And so we'll find out what her story is but just because she's thin and, and active, and I'm sure those are, that's true about her, we don't know what her cholesterol is. We don't know her family history. We don't know internally what's going on. On a cellular level, we don't know what's happening just from how she looks on the outside. And I always say to women when I'm speaking, we all look fabulous. We all figured out. to pull ourselves together and that that doesn't always help because a woman goes into the ER with lipstick on and brushes her hair and she looks great which Um, is probably the biggest mistake we can make right exactly (laughs) go in there and look as awful as you can Um, because sometimes that's what's required apparently to get help
1: well let's can we go back to the emergency room for a second because you raised the question of why and We'll get to the part about what can people do, and in particular, tests that women should be getting that may or may not be the same as what men get. But let's walk through, like, what's happening to these women when they go into the emergency room? When the doctors... So what what do people... What's happening to them? What are the male, male doctors versus female doctors? And I think there's still more male doctors in the emergency room than female. So what are they... Are they ignoring the women? Are they... Are women... Annoying, so that they don't want to treat the women? Like, what's going on in there?
2: I have to refer to a study that was done many, many years ago. Uh, A male and a female actor read the exact same script in an emergency room. And the study showed that with the exact same wording, the men were admitted to the hospital with the idea that they might be having a heart attack. And the women more often received the diagnosis of anxiety and were sent home. So what's it's the same, were they both with um, same-spin
1: doctors, no, same school, but also male doctors and female doctors, mixed?
2: Mixed, whoever was in uh, the year. Okay. And it, it didn't differentiate between male or female doctors in that particular study. So I don't know the answer to that. Right. But I do believe That there is some intrinsic unconscious bias that goes on. I think women and the amount of multitasking that we do really plays into this. Um, A lot of men who go to work come home to a home that is run by their significant others, their wives whoever is there to take care of the kids, have dinner on the table, they take care of healthcare issues. That is sort of the reality of many people. And so when there's an unconscious bias and a man is speaking to a woman patient and she said, well, you know, I have two kids, a full-time job and a husband and I was running around and I, you know, made breakfast for everyone and then I got everyone off to school and then I went to work and I started feeling pain but I was really anxious about this meeting I had and then I got a call that my son was sick of school and I couldn't get to school so I was really, really worried but I kept feeling my heart and the reality of a woman's life to many men sounds like anxiety. Um I think that's part of it. I think women are very used to multitasking. I think women are very accustomed to juggling. I don't think it's easy, and I do think their hearts are suffering, but I think it happens, and I think we do it. So are are the women?
1: Do the, when the men come into the emergency room, do they say something different than a woman does? And is there some key phrase
2: yes. that you need to say? Yes, and I'm so glad you asked this. There was another study that looked at how women and men communicate. And I talk about this a lot, because when women go into the emergency room, the story I just told you is very common in how their symptoms are described. When men communicate, it's more factual. So they will go into the emergency room or to their physician and say, 8 a.m., got up, walked outside, chest pain, stopped walking, chest pain went away. End of story. There is no backstory to it. There is no nuance to it. It's just factual. And in doctor speak, That's the way many doctors process information in order to get to their conclusion. And so women need to speak a little bit more like men and tell the facts and tell the time, how the pain feels, what made it worse, what made it better, any other symptoms that they had with that original symptom. Was there sweating, shortness of breath, palpitations? Did they feel like they were gonna pass out? Was it chest discomfort, pressure, pain? Where was it? These are the important information, not the other things that we like to talk about, which is I know what time it was because my son was at school and I had a meeting and all of these things and all of the colorful ways that women tend to speak is not helpful in her communication to get help. And so if she doesn't feel well, the other thing women tend to do is make excuses. I'm sure I'm okay. I haven't slept. I could be anxious. I've been under a lot of pressure. I have stress. I tell all women enough with the excuses to tell the facts. And if you wanna get help, you go into the ER, you say, I think I'm having a heart attack. I'm having pain in my chest. I'm having shortness of breath. It's gotten worse. I don't know what's going on, but I think it's my heart. End of story. And if they want more details, let them ask for them. But you need to just tell the facts spell it out and get the help you need it's just you know i so totally agree with you and i i do the same thing whatever
1: because women were expected to be able to hold it all together yeah right and i think that the it's almost that the doctors whoever's in the emergency room they've got their own mothers and their own yeah. wives who, or yeah. spouses who hold it all together
2: right. and yes
1: we do apologize we feel guilty if we suddenly have to not be there for dinner because we have to go to the emergency room
2: We don't ask for for help, we take care of everyone else, we are the caretakers, we don't get cared for, right? Not not at all, exactly. Now is there a difference, so
1: um, women, so if my husband has an issue, I'm going to the hospital with him, right, so now you've got a woman that's standing there, so the husband, they're looking at the husband, but is there also something that the wife is standing there speaking up and in the doctor's face? Versus, if women go to the hospital, are their husbands generally with them? And I know that I'm now, I'll call it, talking only about married people, so I'm kind of accidentally discriminating against people going there individually. But is there a difference if you go to the hospital alone versus if you have someone with you? And I'm always a big proponent of never go to the hospital alone.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really good point, and I don't know if we have any data on that whatsoever. I know in my office, most women come alone. Um, some women bring friends. They're, they're women friends, actually. But most of my patients do come alone. Sometimes they bring their husbands. Does it change how patients are looked at? Well, interestingly, when you go into the emergency room, and especially if it's a potential emergency room, the family members often ask to wait outside initially. And so, I don't think that it makes that much of a difference. And so I, I, wouldn't, I think people should never go to the ER alone because I think you need to have someone there to help you and not only help you, but listen, be the ears because it's anxiety provoking, being sick, being in the ER and it's really hard to listen and absorb and get what's going on when you're in a vulnerable situation like that. So it's important to have someone who can be present, be focused, and listen to what's happening. Um, oh, and I it also,
1: based on what you were saying, it also seems that if the doctor, if you go in and you're a woman presenting with symptoms of a heart attack and the doctor wants to push down the anxiety path, and someone else, if you're overwhelmed or not feeling up to it or not thinking it's fully straight, someone else can say, do you need to test her for a heart attack?
2: Yeah, you need to run sure. those
1: tests because they're not yeah. necessarily doing it and everybody wants to hear that they don't think it's a heart attack.
2: Right. Right. But I, I do want to impress upon every woman um, you gotta you gotta stand up for yourself and you have to advocate for yourself. So here I am um, divorced, I'm a single mom and I would like to believe that if I need help, I have within myself the tools to be able to communicate what I need to communicate to get help on my own. And I really want to empower all women to have their own voices, to really stand up for themselves. And I think when we talk about equality and the sexism piece, maybe this is when I start standing on a little podium. Women need to be heard. They need to be listened to. They need to be taken seriously. And that piece of this story is when I get a little nuts. We yes. all need to be okay on our own. We should not need to bring our husbands with us. Well, Just yes. I, told,
1: <laughs> I agree. Well, it wasn't about spouses. No, about no. Spouse. I know. Somebody, I know. Right? But I know because I we do. were talking about you yeah. know, whether they're attending to what women are saying versus what men are saying. So let yeah. me ask you this. So let's get dirty questions. Yeah. When the doctors are chatting at the desk, and there's a emergency room full of patients. Yeah. Are there patients that they go, oh that one's going to be annoying? Are there patients that they're more <laughs> inclined to want to be with, like when they're doling it out? Because I always say, so I always have a rule of thumb when you travel with little children, is that they should be cute and clean, because cute and clean kids get more attention and will be, you know, the, the flight attendants will be nicer to you. Versus if you have, you know, kids that look like they just rolled out of bed, bed and their faces are filthy. So is there a para, is there something in the emergency room that that doctors, you know, this kind of patient is annoying if you ask too many questions, if you whine about it, if you scream? You know, how much do you want to be nice and polite, and how much do you need to speak up? Like, is there this funny dynamic going on under the surface? And you can say, I'm not allowed to sit. Probably. I mean, I think
2: that's probably true. Oh, but can I give you the absolute rule book of how that works? No. I can tell you that everyone's really busy and really stressed and a little bit overworked. And so as much as every single patient in there wants attention and needs attention and should get the attention they need, I'm not sure if that's the reality. So The time that you have, the actual face-to-face time you have with that doctor, use it wisely. Use it to your benefit. So instead of saying to the doctor, what are you doing? What's happening? Who's that? What's that? What's going on? Because then the doctor has to explain to you his or her job, which takes time and is not effective for care, right? Use that time to say, this is what I need because this is what's happening to me get your message across and so i think what you're saying is really interesting and to think about it just understand the time pressure of everyone around you and so the time that you have should be used in a way that ensures you're getting the help you need yeah i think that's great advice i also always try
1: when i'm in there to ask specific next steps what's going to happen next and when am i going to hear back from you Right, So that it's like so you, you almost try understand. to get them, yeah. tell you, you have an understanding and you almost get them to promise you we'll be back to you in a while with your results versus yeah.
2: they're, they've stuck you in a corner and they'll be back whenever. So it's also important to understand that it does take time to get results back, to get things processed. Yeah. And during that period of time, you might feel like you're sitting there and nothing's happening, but everyone's waiting and everyone's waiting for the results. Yes. So you need to speak up if your symptoms change, if you start feeling sicker, if this chest discomfort is all of a sudden becoming pressure, ask for help. But this is not about where one of my test results coming back. It's, I am having worse chest pain. Please help me now.
1: Yes, and I agree.
2: The, it's right. not about questioning right. them. It's about getting the help you need.
1: Yes. And when I say, you know, make sure... The, that they get the test, test results back fast. I don't mean it like hag on them.
2: I oh, mean, yeah. I know you know, just you mean. give yeah, yourself some no, perspective. Just, no. yeah. just
1: so that you've, you've set the expectations for yourself and so that you understand it. All right, let's talk for a minute about the symptoms because everyone talks about women's symptoms are different than men's and it's not just the, you know, the chest-grabbing pain for women. Um, and there is neck pain and back pain and jaw pain. But help me understand that, Because women have those things all the time. You get a little bit of nausea, you get a little bit of indigestion, you get a little back pain. You know, I'm running on a treadmill and suddenly something tightens up in my back. Oh gosh, am I having a heart attack or am I just holding my arms funny, right? Yeah. So how do you know? What's the difference of what cardiac pain feels like versus normal pain or twinges? Is there a characterization or a time progression or something?
2: Yeah. I think that it's important to understand why there's pain, why there are symptoms. And the reason behind it is that the heart's not getting oxygen. This is all about oxygen supply and demand. And so when we exert ourselves, when we exercise or walk or carry packages or are running around, our heart's oxygen demand goes up and if there are blockages in the arteries or an impending heart attack the supply of oxygen goes down when the heart's not getting oxygen it's extremely uncomfortable it could be this chest pressure it could be palpitations the heart's trying to compensate and get more oxygen it could be shortness of breath because you're not getting oxygen It could be sweating for the same reasons. It could be this nausea, all for the same reasons. But if you understand that it's happening because you're doing something that you usually do every single day without trouble and all of a sudden now you're doing it and it's super hard and you can't breathe and you're sweating and your sort of chest hurts and then you stop and rest and all of a sudden everything kind of calms down, that's heart. When you're on a treadmill and your back cinches up and you feel a spasm and you move your position and you continue to run, that's your back. But when it's hard, it really happens with exertion. It gets worse the more you do. And if you rest and really settle and it goes away, that's that idea that your heart's not getting oxygen until it calms down and things go back to normal. So is it usually sudden
1: onset? Will it come on progressively or will it suddenly change that the heart is suddenly going, ouch, I'm, you know, I'm suffocating?
2: A lot of times it happens progressively and then gets worse and might go away, but then comes back. Sometimes the intensity gets worse or the duration of the symptoms get worse. So if it's the same kind of thing that's Coming and going, it's intermittent. It's getting worse. It's more progressive. That's usually heart as well. Will it? Will the symptoms vary
1: so that I'll get, you know, maybe I'll feel nauseous or vomiting now, and then I feel better, and then I get some kind of chest tightness or I get extreme fatigue. Will it? Will it present in in a progression or a variety of
2: ways? That's such a good question. No one has ever asked me that before. I think that the first symptoms that you have often come back, and they might progress. So if you have nausea, you might all of a sudden get nausea and then start sweating, and then it's nausea, sweating, and then you get short of breath. It's like a progressive, um, really, development of symptoms, one on top of the other, and it just starts getting worse. So they really need to watch the progression. I think there was another study, and I'm
1: looking for my notes. I can't remember what it was, where they had looked at charts of women for some X period of time, and they found an enormous number of women who had had heart attacks and never knew it.
2: Yeah, a silent heart attack. That, that's something we talked about a lot uh, last year during heart months. So women's heart attacks are often more subtle, which is why their symptoms are more subtle. They happen on the microvasculature, which means the large arteries aren't the culprit, it's the smaller arteries. And so you can actually live through this, not even knowing you had a heart attack, although when you do talk to these women, they'll say, oh, gosh, I do remember this one time when I was feeling horrible and I lied down because I didn't feel well and I woke up and I felt better and oh that was probably my heart attack and that those stories are real the reason women do live through them is because it's on the microvascular church not the big arteries the reason sometimes the symptoms are more subtle is for the same reason but what happens is when these tiny little heart attacks happen over and over again you can develop heart failure because little bits of the muscle die off over time, and when right. that happens, all of a sudden the woman will come to the ER and they'll say, "You've had so many heart attacks that your heart function is severely decreased, and now you're you're in a very different state um, of being sick." And so part of why we're having this conversation and why this information is so important is of course you could die from a heart attack at that moment of course it means and we talked about this in the beginning that if you do have a heart attack within a year after that heart attack you have a 56 percent chance of dying in that year but the other part of it is that if you don't have a massive heart attack your outcomes of having heart failure and surviving all of these heart attacks is much higher and so we never want to get sick from this disease, because I'm going to tell you 80% of the time it's preventable. We don't have to get heart disease. And if I can tell you that you can figure this out by getting tested through knowing your blood pressure, your cholesterol, your sugars, by exercising, eating healthy, sleeping, taking care of yourself, then the conversation we're having right now about women and heart disease will not exist because we're all going to be okay.
1: Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? Let's talk about those tests for a second. So that, because I think women, besides the fact that we present differently with our symptoms, there are different tests, perhaps, that women need than men. What are some of those?
2: Well, I think that what we have to understand is a little bit of what I just talked about, this microvascular disease, that When stress tests are done, which has been the standard of care to diagnose heart disease, it really is a male paradigm of testing. Sometimes stress testing looks abnormal in women, and the next step is she'll go for an angiogram, and the arteries look normal. But what she really needs if she ends up getting an angiogram is something called an intravascular ultrasound, or IVUS, IVUS which is a camera that actually looks inside the arteries themselves because plaque in women tends to present diffusely throughout the artery. So the whole artery looks normal because there's no normal to compare it to. In men, they often develop plaque in one location. It's very easy to see an abnormal area when the rest of the artery is normal. Abnormal versus normal, you see there's a problem. And so a stress test is looking for one area of abnormality, and it clearly shows up in a man, but it doesn't show up often the same way in a woman. And so that becomes an interesting thought. So all these years and all that research that we were doing stress tests on women to diagnose, and that might not have been the right idea. So women need... Different kinds of testing, the IVIS I just mentioned, a coronary artery calcium score, a PET scan without dye or contrast that looks for calcification in the artery has been shown to be a very useful tool to see if you're at risk for heart disease. And in fact, in the new cholesterol guidelines that just came out, a calcium score is used to help determine whether or not people should be taking statins, medications like Ligotor or Crestor. And so these tests and this next generation of how to look at women's hearts through other testing like cardiac MRIs with perfusion, which perfusion meaning looking inside that the arteries themselves and how well they're working, can give us an understanding of the microvasculature, can tell us a lot about health of the arteries whether there's plaque diffusely throughout them whether to know if they're working well there are other tests that can give us this information and for women that information is important and these are
1: all called baseline screening tests a lot of them
2: some of them are and some of them we do when people are having symptoms and when symptoms develop that's when we consider a stress test when Those symptoms are are truly significant, and a stress test might be normal or abnormal, or we're not 100% sure. We might consider a CAT scan angiogram, which is a three-dimensional reproduction of the coronary arteries, so it actually can look at the coronary arteries without going inside invasively. And that test can really help us understand a woman's heart, sometimes better than anything else. So, and based on what you're saying, it sounds like calcification
1: actually is a far more important measure of risk for women than perhaps even cholesterol, but that's a a critical marker for them.
2: It's not exactly far more important, but it really helps us understand the significance of the cholesterol and the significance of a family history. So... I guess in some ways what you're saying is is right um and in other times it's not and so one of the issues with the heart and the development of heart disease is it's, it's complicated you know it's really easy to say okay you're at risk for breast cancer go get a mammogram okay you're at risk for colon cancer go get a colonoscopy but here we are with heart disease and i can't tell you one thing to do like that but if you have a calcium score that's up, you're at risk for heart disease, period, end of story. If your calcium score is zero, it doesn't mean you're not at risk, and that's the difference. So it gets a little more complicated, but you're absolutely right in saying if you do have a calcium score, you are absolutely at risk. So
1: let me ask you this. Um, Many women develop calcification in their breasts. Yes. Is there a correlation if you have calcification in your breast does that mean you need to get a, calcifica- a calcium score throughout throughout your body?
2: So there was a study that was done looking at this, and there's different kinds of calcifications in the breast. But when calcifications are seen in the arteries of the breast, which actually um, the doctor can see, then yeah, you gotta go get screened and go to a cardiologist. And while we're on this subject, if you have had um, Any issues during pregnancy, preeclampsia, high blood pressure, gestational diabetes, high cholesterol, you're at risk for heart disease. And you should see a cardiologist because within the next 10 years, your risk of high blood pressure goes up and your risk of heart disease and elevated calcium scores go up as well. So who you are in your whole life, your calcifications on your mammogram, your pregnancy, what that looked like, if you have any inflammatory diseases, all of these things go into your risk for women, and obviously that doesn't play a role for men.
1: Um, let's talk about cardiologists and preventive cardiologists. And this isn't about trying to increase your practice because you are busy enough. <laughs> but, but you know, and based on but based on our conversation now and conversations you and I have had in the past, most people should be should be get, going to. a for screening beyond just their basic annual physical earlier in their lives than they realize it's like everyone should have a preventive cardiology
2: screening is that true well, well it's really hard because you're talking to me and you know how i feel i think that at age 20 everyone needs to be screened i think if you have a family history this is something that needs to be done super early I think the earlier we intervene, the better. It takes decades and decades for heart disease to develop. With any family history, with any, any incidence of overweight, obesity, I mean, we talk about childhood obesity constantly, but what are we doing about it in terms of heart disease? I mean, these kids need to be screened early on and intervened early on. I think everybody should I wish I could see everybody in the country and take care of them. Right. That's the truth, which, you know, I can't. So, yeah, I think that everybody should evaluate their risks and see someone. Um, look at your family. Look at yourself. And I, I think once, years ago, a woman said to me, I don't smoke. I just have a couple cigarettes. Five days a week <laughs> really you know i hear that all the time oh, i never God. eat cheese i never eat fried foods. oh please a couple french fries off my kids plate every day you know we have to become a little honest with ourselves and in being honest this isn't a blame game this isn't to make yourself feel guilty we are human there is nothing better than being human oh We can't really make excuses or not be honest with ourselves. We can't afford that. And once you really take a look at your life, honestly look at your life, then you get to know your risks and you get to understand yourself a little better. One of my favorite patients came in yesterday and her blood pressure was 150 over 100. And just to remind you, normal is 120 over 80. And she said to me, it's never like that. And I said, well, I don't know if that's true. I'm not sure if you're checking it when it's like that. But it is like that. Because here you are and here it is. And she got really upset. And I, I think about things like this often. Because heart disease is the one disease that's about us. It's so personal. The heart is... Is the metronome of our lives. It beats out how we feel, it beats out when we're stressed, when we're upset, when we're anxious, when we're not sleeping, when we're not taking care of ourselves. It tells the truth. And I think if we all look at this a little differently, if we all understand that these numbers that this reality, that this truth, that this analysis is all about preventing heart disease. It's not about blame. It's not about feeling badly. That it changes how we look at this. Instead of saying, oh, it's never 150 over 100, it should be more like, oh my goodness, what did I do? Right now, where am I right now? That my blood pressure is that high what is that reflective of and you know what sometimes it's because they ate a lot of sushi that day before and that morning there's like too much salt in the diet that's an answer or sometimes it's because they were up all night for whatever reason that's an answer but we don't need to make excuses and we don't need to feel badly we just need to understand own it and fix it
1: totally agree well and again Cardiac is, as you said, so complex. So it's easy to get your mammograms, you know, go to get a mammogram. It's, It's a lot of simple screenings, manage your blood sugar. But when it comes to cardiac, it's not that simple. And I know there's a lot of debate about kind of the annual physical with your GP. They're not looking at all this stuff. It's a different head and a different mindset. And especially when we're talking about women where it doesn't work the same in our bodies, It's especially important to get that screening early so then you know what your game board looks like.
2: That's right. I have to tell you one story. This was unbelievable. I decided that I wanted to find a general doctor to see me every year. And I went to a friend, guy I knew, and I said, all right, let's just draw all my blood and do an EKG and make sure I'm okay. And I got the blood test back, and believe it or not, he didn't check my cholesterol. Not at all. Could you imagine that um, who I am, what I do? This was not a stranger. <laughs> he could not check my cholesterol. And I called him and I said, listen, <laughs> I'm not trying to point fingers. But, but you didn't check my cholesterol. And he said we don't routinely do that in women. What? Oh, oh my goodness! Oh my goodness. goodness! Now, and I'm the first goodness. to say that cholesterol's
1: not—you know—cholesterol was really overblown as the be-all and end-all of your cardiac risk. But to not look at it at all? Yeah, it,
2: it that's, matters. It matters. That's, that's it, crazy. It was appalling, and I really had that moment of now I'm I know what I'm doing this is my life's work so I get to say I didn't get good care but what about somebody who doesn't know who goes to a doctor and trusts them and, and they should but this was shocking for me and so what what am I doing about it I'm talking for 28 days in February and seven in January and
1: And constantly, constantly. well, and that's what we do. That's, you know, what's bottom line does too. We've got the information that's talking about the, what questions should you ask? What tests should you get? All of this. Now, one other piece, and then I'm going to let you go. The, um, when somebody goes to find a cardiologist, and again, I don't like to be genderish in this, but the truth of the matter is that women have better outcomes with female
2: cardiologists. True? Yeah. But there was another study that showed that all people had better outcomes with women doctors. Did you see that study? That was pretty exciting. My dad nodded to me. <laughs> <laughs> I did see that actually. Well, and you know, I know
1: that at this point in time, there's about fifty percent or fifty-one percent of medical students are female at this at this point. It's not yeah. so easy to find women if you don't if you don't want to have a baby and you don't want to bring your kids in. It's not necessarily so easy to find women in a lot of medical practices. But it's yeah. possible.
2: Well, cardiologists um, are notoriously men, so there are less women in cardiology. So, what do you do? I think you find someone who really loves what they do, number one, who really cares about taking care of people, who really understands prevention, who really understands the, the whole field of women in heart disease. And I sadly will tell you that in my practice I have a lot of women that come in who tell me that they were seeing a doctor, mostly men, who ignored them, didn't listen to them, didn't believe them, didn't take care of them. And I will tell you, just like a bad relationship, if someone doesn't listen to you, don't go to them anymore. I don't care if they're men or women. That's just not the way it goes. You need to find a partner in healthcare. We need to find someone who, who advocates for us just as much as we advocate for ourselves. And we need someone we can talk to and who listens to us. There's so much information out there. Listen, the work that you guys do, patients bring this stuff to me and say, look what I read, look what I saw. And you need to be able to communicate with your doctor about these things.
1: It's true. All right,
2: Dr. Suzanne
1: Steinbaum, go rest yourself. You are a non-stop caring machine. So thank you so much for all of your great advice. Everybody listening, go check out drsuzannesteinbaum.com. She is incredible. Thank you.
0: Thank you. I'm talking to Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum. Director of Women's Cardiovascular Health, Prevention and Wellness at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York about a surprising hidden danger in cardiac care, gender bias. Frighteningly, there's a grand inconsistency in the treatment of cardiac patients depending on if they are men or women. This difference goes beyond the fact that symptoms are different depending on your gender. Knowing the differences in symptoms and care quality can be a life and death issue. Dr. Steinbaum has been providing Bottom Line's readers with her wisdom on this and assorted women's health issues for many years. Her insights appear regularly in our highly acclaimed publication, Bottom Line Health, which is filled with information from America's leading mainstream and complementary experts on not just women's health, but all aspects of a healthy life, including how to treat diseases quickly and safely, identifying risks and symptoms of illness, and most importantly, how to increase your odds of living a long and vibrant life. Bottomline Health has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 30 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get two free bonus books, Physician's Guide to the Right Medicines and Physician's Guide to Remedies and Cures, full of some of the greatest tips from our team of health experts. Just go to BottomLineInc.com forward slash BLH. That's BottomLineInc.com forward slash BLH.